Hello, and welcome to Ed Infinitum, the podcast that makes school the subject of study. I'm your host, David Nuremberg. This is Season 4, Episode 9, The Great Homework Debate. Few topics in education arouse as much passion and disagreement as the issue of homework. For some, the concept is associated with rigor and thoroughness. Consider the common expression in the adult world, I see you've done your homework, meant to praise someone for their research and preparedness. On the other hand, the 2000s saw a battery of books with titles like The End of Homework, The Homework Myth, and The Case Against Homework that decried the practice of teachers assigning students work outside of school hours, charging it with harming the psychological and physical well-being of children and the harmony and cohesion of American families. As you might expect from any controversial issue in the education world, there is some truth in both positions, and the answer to the question, should homework be a part of American students' educational diets, is complicated. But fear not, I've done my homework, and I'll guide you through it. First off, we should begin with a definition of just what homework is, and, well, that all kind of depends. In the most inclusive definition, homework is any assigned task that is intended to be pursued outside of the time allotted for the school day, or in the case of middle and high school, the time allotted for a given class period. Beyond that, homework can look like a lot of things. It can consist of new learning, practice and repetition for mastery of existing learning, reading, writing, research, communication with classmates, finding and bringing materials in for the next day, or any of dozens of other missions. Who came up with this idea of homework? To whom should we either build a commemorative statue or burn an effigy, depending on your stance on the homework issue? Well, there are a lot of origin stories out there for homework, and most, if not all of them, are apocryphal. Riding high on the list of Google hits is this name of Roberto Nevillis, a purported Italian educator who was looking for a way to punish disobedient students. But I will stake my reputation as a scholar on the fact that this man simply does not exist, at least not as described on these websites. For one, the image associated with him, if you track it through reverse image lookup on Google, winds up being from a random 19th century farming diary from Oklahoma. Some prankster evidently just decided to pick a photo of a man who looked old-timey, and now that image reliably returns for hits on Roberto Nevillis. Second, the dates associated with Nevillis's purported invention of homework on these websites is generally listed as 1905, which is impossible since, as we'll learn in a moment, that's years after some states passed laws banning homework, and while I'm not a legal scholar, I am pretty confident that legislatures don't generally pass laws banning things that don't exist yet, the Chinese Communist Party's ban on time travel notwithstanding. Of course, some of these websites list the date of Nevillis's purported invention of homework as 1095, which predates systems of mass education in Italy by about eight centuries. No, the truth is that any practice as generic as homework is not likely to be traceable to a singular figure. Surely, throughout the many thousands of years that wealthy and aristocratic people and cultures around the world learned from tutors in private institutions, some of them must have been given work to do when the, when the tutor or instructor wasn't around. As far back as the first century CE in Rome, Pliny the Younger is on record as asking his, his protégés to practice public speaking at home. 
As for when homework as we would recognize it began appearing in schools as we would recognize them, maybe we could trace that to Johann Gottlieb Fichte, a poor ribbon-maker's son born in 1762 in the German state of Upper Lusatia. Fichte was something of a child prodigy and eventually found himself the recipient of a scholarship to some fancy schools and eventually gained entry into the circles of German philosophers and theologians. Fichte became a public intellectual of such a scale that no less a figure than Immanuel Kant raved about him. But he also pissed off a lot of his fellow Germans by, among other things, preaching both atheism and equal rights for women. Today, Fichte is best remembered for being an early and vigorous proponent of unifying the German states into a single nation, and to that end, advocated, among other things, the idea of Volksschulen, or people schools, that would provide a kind of universal and unifying education to the German masses. In the late 19th century, these schools, which did become a reality, would become known outside of the German states as the Prussian system, a course of study that provided nine years of rigorous and standardized technical skills and religious education, along with instilling a kind of nationalist pride and sense of duty and obedience, modeled upon the strict discipline of the Prussian army. Although, to be fair, Fichte himself had hoped that students would be, and I quote in translation, made able and willing to use their own minds, unquote, in order for Germany to really become a prosperous modern nation. As detailed in Season 3, Episode 2 of this podcast, one of the foundational figures of American public education as we know it, Horace Mann, was touring Germany around this time, and used the structure and operating style of the Prussian system as the inspiration for his common schools, the beginning of our contemporary form of public schooling in the United States. Assignments done outside of classes, mainly with the purpose of instilling work ethic as opposed to learning new material, was one of the practices that Mann ported over. Unlike many of Mann's other reforms, however, homework did not take off immediately. In fact, it faced a pretty substantial backlash, garnering opponents no less formidable than the Ladies' Home Journal and the New York Times. As I hinted at a few minutes ago, bans on homework are almost as old as the practice itself. The Boston School Board passed a measure prohibiting math homework specifically in the 1880s, and California passed a statewide ban on all homework in public schools in 1901, a ban which in some California cities persisted until 1961. New York City banned homework earlier than the fourth grade in the 1920s. While some of this early opposition to homework was on the grounds that the practice was harmful to children, most notably the American Child Health Association statement in 1930 accusing the practice of being a kind of child labor, families often gave schools pushback on homework for the simple and practical reason that children's labor was needed for farm work, child care, and other household duties outside of school hours. And remember, something to always keep in mind whenever we're discussing American public education is that there ain't any such thing. Just 13,000 individual school districts and tens of thousands of individual schools and hundreds of thousands of individual classrooms, all of which had and continue to have different rules and policies regarding, well, pretty much everything, homework included. While firm figures are hard to come by, Homework didn't really become the majority practice it is today until two major national shifts in thinking about the purpose and mission of public education in the United States. One came in 1957, after the Soviet launch of Sputnik triggered a national call for U.S. schools to become more rigorous in preparing a generation of Americans who could scientifically outcompete their Cold War opponents in Russia. 
The progressive educational revolutions of the 1960s and 70s subsequently saw homework de-emphasized, but then homework received a renaissance in the wake of 1983's A Nation at Risk report, which triggered a cascading series of educational reforms that culminated in the 2001 No Child Left Behind Act. Season 1, Episode 3, and the final three episodes of Season 2 explore that period in detail, but the extremely short version is that political and business leaders panicked over the aforementioned inequitable patchwork quilt of public schools leading to uneven preparation for graduates, enacted legislation that triggered a massive push for so-called accountability in holding students and their teachers to state-level determined learning standards as measured through high-stakes standardized testing. Since students' graduation and teachers' and administrators' jobs lay in the balance, homework, particularly the variety designed for repetition, drilling for mastery, and preparation for the specific high-stakes tests involved, saw an unprecedented rise, especially in elementary school, way down to first grade and even sometimes kindergarten. The reaction to this homework renaissance in America was, as you might expect of anything in America, highly divided. Tremendous backlash came and continues to come from affluent, highly educated, mainly white families who cite examples of overburdened students under stress from multiple after-school activities and at the high school level under intense pressure to gain admission to competitive colleges. Many of these students stay up well past healthy hours attempting to fulfill all of their many commitments, homework included, and in the words of Stanford researcher Denise Pope, wind up just doing school as opposed to deeply learning. Students in this demographic have seen a disproportionate rise in anxiety, depression, and various forms of self-harm. And while homework is just one piece of the constellation that causes these conditions, it's a piece that many parents and child advocates have seized upon, starting organizations like the Stanford-based program Challenge Success with missions to help ease such students' burdens, often by targeting homework specifically. I can speak from experience teaching in such a school environment that teachers often find themselves in a rather tricky double bind, ordered on the one hand to help reduce student stress levels by lessening schoolwork, while at the same time continually enjoined to make sure students are given a rigorous enough education to make them competitive in that all-important college admissions game. We'll talk in just a few minutes about that conflation of homework and rigor and whether or not that's justified, but first, let's look to the other end of the socioeconomic spectrum. In a series of studies summarized by Harvard Graduate School of Education professor Janine Bempachaw, many low-income parents are strong supporters of the practice of homework. Bempachaw explains, quote, recognizing that they lack the time to be in the classroom or participate in school governance, Many low-income parents view homework as a critical connection to their children's experiences in school. Mothers enjoy the routine and predictability of homework and use it as a way to demonstrate to children how to plan their time. Mothers organize homework as a family activity, with siblings doing homework together and older children reading to younger ones. In this way, homework is perceived as a collective practice wherein siblings can model effective habits and learn from one another." End quote. Too frequently, research reports that schools that serve underprivileged students often don't assign much homework at all, or don't give much in the way of consequences when students don't complete it. Duke University neuroscience professor Harris Cooper, and we'll hear a bit more from him in a few minutes, describes the anti-homework crusades of affluent families as coming from a place of privilege because their children have so many opportunities, in and out of school, to advance and enrich their learning, while for the 21% of school-aged children who live in poverty, that's about 11 million kids, 
homework might be the easiest available tool for learning. As New York Times blogger Jessica Leahy once wrote, quote, homework is a red herring. Some otherwise privileged children may have too much, but the real issue lies in places where there is too little, and we shouldn't forget that, end quote. Although there are certainly high-powered schools where students receive hours and hours of homework each night, taken as a national average by the National Assessment of Educational Progress, high school students report spending less than one hour per day on homework, and only 42% report doing it all five days of the school week. If you're curious, the United States has the second highest disparity between time spent on homework by wealthy versus low-income students out of the 34 OECD member nations who took part in the 2012 Program for International Students Assessment, or PISA. Our country's infamous wealth gap is, among other things, also a homework gap. But is that really a problem? Is homework really a valuable learning tool at all? There have been hundreds of studies on homework's potential efficacy and harmfulness in the United States over the last few decades, and I'm sorry to report that a lot of it is kind of limited in its applicability. So much of social science research, and education research especially, can at best show correlations, not causation. And as such, many studies demonstrate positive correlations between homework completion and academic achievement, especially at the middle and high school level. But is that because homework aids in learning, or because the kind of kids who learn well have good work habits and therefore also complete their homework? Even these kinds of correlations are much more nebulous than studies at the elementary school level. But you also have to keep in mind that in this sort of research we are so seldom comparing apples to apples. Just what homework consisted of in each of these studies is so often different that comparing across populations especially when you factor in how learning works differently for younger versus older children, makes it exceedingly difficult to make any kind of global declaration about the value of homework qua homework. Remember Professor Harris Cooper from Duke? He is something of an OG when it comes to homework research, in that he conducted this very large meta study back in 1989 that attempted to do just that, to make a global recommendation about homework. And his conclusions were that homework is of increasing utility to students the older and higher the grade level they're at, with very little evidence of it helping elementary school students, at least insofar as learning gets measured on achievement tests. Cooper is perhaps most famous for his 10-minute rule, although he has subsequently claimed it originated from an attendee at one of his lectures. The 10-minute rule suggests that daily homework be limited to 10 minutes per grade level, so a 4th grader should receive no more than 40 minutes of homework per night, while a 10th grader should receive no more than 100 minutes, etc. To this day, the National Parent-Teacher Association and the National Education Association both endorse this guideline, including a subsequent recommendation that the ideal range for a middle schooler is 90 minutes of homework a day, while 90 to 120 minutes is the ideal range for a high schooler after which homework has diminishing or even negative returns for students. The problem with all of these maxims about minutes is that, well, no two students are alike. An assignment that takes one student 10 minutes might take another student 20 minutes, or even an hour or more. And even that same student might take a different amount of time depending on the night, how tired she is, what other distractions may or may not be taking place around her. Students have different reading speeds, different organizational processes, and, of course, different working conditions outside of school. They may or may not have a quiet, well-organized personal space in which to do work, or even a home at all. 
All of this makes designing a one-size-fits-all homework task for an entire class of students extremely problematic, which is why differentiation, which we've spent several podcast episodes talking about, including last episode, is perhaps more important to practice in homework than anywhere else. Rather than obsessing about minutes, in more recent years, Cooper and other researchers studying homework have focused on the quality, not the quantity, of homework assignments. These newer studies have found the most positive results coming from homework for which the teacher has articulated a clear purpose, a clear learning or practice goal, as opposed to a vague idea of instilling academic discipline, or even just because it's something to do. There is some evidence that there are benefits to homework simply in that it promotes self-efficacy and self-regulation, but there is also a growing body of research that the traditional mission of homework, practicing and repeating something you learned in a school lesson in order to better fix it in your mind, can be served as well or at times even better by what we call a flipped classroom model. In this reversal of the usual class structure, a teacher may record a video or provide some other way of conveying a new concept or idea to students that takes place at home during homework time. And then the practice and repetition for mastery happens the next day in school, with the teacher present to help clarify confusing parts and correct misunderstandings. This practice is even getting traction when the homework simply consists of reading, as it does in many English classes. Students use the classroom time and the quiet it affords to read their assigned pages with the teacher on hand to help them if they're struggling with comprehension. And then they can use homework time to jot down some reactions and analysis. Homework is also no exception to our growing understanding. The students learn better when they have work that is engaging, personally relevant, and geared toward a real-life, authentic purpose beyond just an upcoming quiz or test. See Season 1, Episode 2, as well as Episode 5 of this season, for more on all of that. Homework best aids learning when it's not just busy work, but actually helps students connect the material with their own lives and the world beyond the classroom. The homework debate is not a uniquely American phenomenon. For example, a Canadian couple named Shelley and Tom Milley in 2009 filed a lawsuit against their child's school that went all the way to the Supreme Court of Canada, winning a ruling that exempted their two children from all homework. Of course, this may just prove that Canada is the kind of easygoing nation that doesn't have any bigger judicial crises to settle. But even in America, homework might not be as much of a crisis as the media would lead you to believe. The 2012 National Household Education Surveys Program found that about 80% of parents believed the amount of homework their children had was just about right, and that finding held across race and socioeconomics. While I would be surprised to find 80% or even 5% of students out there at any grade level who would report that they loved homework, my own children being no exception, there seems to be sufficient evidence, in my mind, that a reasonable amount of homework designed in a thoughtful and purposeful enough way, is indeed a healthy part of the educational diet, at least once you get to middle and high school. If teachers are intentional about their homework assignments, as opposed to just throwing work at students that never gets any meaningful follow-up, then students will probably derive some benefit, even if they won't be overflowing with thank yous for it. That's all the time we have for now. Class dismissed, and we'll see you next time. I hope you enjoy listening to this podcast. If you did, please write us a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever it is you found us. Like us on our Facebook page. And if you really enjoy it, please consider visiting our website, www.ed-infinitum.com, 
and making a donation to keep it running. Otherwise, and the grand tradition of underfunded public schools will be reliant on only what we can make from bake sales. The website is the place to go if you want to suggest a topic or send me an email for any other reason. Our theme music is Happy Schoolmaster by Mind Music ID. Thanks again for listening, and remember, every day brings us opportunities to learn something new.